G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone and welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round four preview edition as usual, proudly brought to you by our official podcast partners, Palmerbet. Get tackle busting benefits all this season, courtesy of Palmerbet. Always make sure, of course, to gamble responsibly. Well, uh, special week this week coming up to round four. Uh, we've had a few changes in the driver's seat. Uh, Robert Shaw just slotting in there beautifully thus far in season 22. But uh, he's off. He's left us. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he is having a very hard-earned and well-earned week's break at a mystery location. The location, I'm told, cannot be disclosed. That is for fear of groupies just completely and utterly swamping him. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and it's not Adelaide supporters still unhappy about his tenure coaching the Crows 25-odd years ago either. No, he just wants a bit of peace and quiet, so I'm not going to tell everyone where he's going. But if you are listening, Rob, uh, hope it is going well, and we will see you back for this equivalent episode next week. In the meantime, though, uh, well, have we stepped up and found a more than capable replacement um, we didn't have to go too far for him as well because this man is an integral part of the footyology team not just behind the scenes where he does an awful lot of production stuff and fixes up mistakes of people like me but a very worthy contributor in his own right with the unmissable previews with punch uh t- tail of a tape in the off season this man has his proverbial finger on the proverbial pulse and I can't think of a third thing to use proverbial with, but it's a nice sounding word. As I stop rambling and say a very good Wednesday morning to our uh, stand-in co-host, Mr. Ronnie Lerner. Oh, it's a pleasure to have to be here. And, and it's a pleasure for you to have me, Rocco. <laughs> nah, thank you very much for uh, having me on. Very, very big shoes to fill. Uh, Essendon royalty in uh, Robert Shaw, uh, player, assistant coach, and obviously Adelaide and Fitzroy coach. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like these are Shaquille O'Neal type shoes I'm going to have to fill, but I'll try my best, Rocco. Well, you've been given plenty of warning. You've been told uh, the homework which is required to be done. I know you're a a diligent young chap. You you are far too old to be wearing the baseball cap backwards on your head as you are doing now. Fortunately, this is only an audio podcast. And uh, yes, now you're going to mention the fact that I'm wearing a hoodie. Obviously. Uh, how, how old are you? 12 or 13? Well, where's your skateboard, Roko, with that well, hoodie on? Allow me to tell you this hoodie, this hoodie, this hoodie. <laughs> is actually a Huskadoo hoodie. And Huskadoo, one of the great cult bands of the US punk scene of the 1980s. So Don't that, care. It's a hoodie. It doesn't, uh, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't, doesn't matter, Roka. It's a hoodie. All right. All right. Well, we, we are here to preview to death all nine games coming up in round four. And a big round 
looming as well. More Thursday night footy, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you name it. But we're also going to quickly wrap up some of the more important news items of recent days as well. In fact, why don't we do that right now? On Footyology Newsfeed. Well, the AFL men's season uh, just getting underway, but uh, as that happens, the AFLW season coming to its conclusion this Saturday afternoon, Adelaide Oval with the Crows into their fourth AFLW grand final, taking on Melbourne, the Demons playing their first. Should be an epic clash. Uh, We'll have a few quick words about that, but before we do, uh, big night. Uh, last night, and that is the AFLW Best and Fairest, or the W Awards, they are known as. And uh, Brisbane midfielder Emily Bates, Ronnie, winning the W Award, being voted the Best and Fairest for 2022, polling 21 votes to beat Adelaide's Anne Hatchard, who finished a close second on 20 votes. But Bates, 25, averaged 22 touches, Seven tackles this season in a side that uh, was right in amongst it until just being pipped by Melbourne in the preliminary final at the weekend. I think uh, everyone would agree she's a very worthy winner. Yes, um, indeed. A fantastic player, Emily Bates. Uh, you know, she's the, the vice captain for a reason. Uh, she was fantastic this season. And you know she also won the, the AFLCA Champion Player of the Year. So she, just caps up a marvellous year for her. And unfortunately for her, she would obviously like to trade it in for um, a spot in uh, Saturday's grand final. But no, nah, she could definitely hold her head high. And I guess it takes a little bit of consolation out of the season. Um, you know, she's uh, she was really, really, um, really one of the driving forces behind Brisbane being so strong in this year. I mean, Brisbane and Adelaide have probably been the two strongest teams um, over the, the short history uh, of the uh, of the AFLW and um, yeah, for, for her to be so strong in such a strong team, come out on top with that with that win was a marvelous achievement. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a really good night for Brisbane, but obviously it's a little bit sour based on uh, uh, what happened on the weekend for them. Another bit of history with the awards: uh, North Melbourne's Emma Carney uh, named an AFL All Australian for a sixth consecutive time the only player to be selected in every All-Australian side in the six seasons of the AFLW and that All-Australian lineup uh, not surprisingly uh, featuring players from both grand final teams Adelaide and Melbourne four players from each team picked in the final 21 Daisy Pearce, Taylor Harris, Libby Birch and Lauren Pearce for the Demons and for the Crows, Ebony Marinoff and Anne Hatchard, along with defender Sarah Allen and uh, forward Ashley Woodland, uh, earning her first All-Australian gong. Um, let's do a, a quick little preview of Saturday's grand final. I think we'd agree probably the best two teams of the season are in there, aren't they? Brisbane, certainly very, very competitive, but uh, I think Melbourne's been... Uh, maybe a touch more consistent than the Lions. No, no, definitely. I think that I mean Adelaide and Melbourne were finished the season nine and one, one and uh, first and second on the ladder. So, uh, yeah, undoubtedly we have the the two best teams in it. I reckon, in my humble opinion, um, and it's going to be a cracking game. I, you know, 
what firstly a real um a real mention uh, shout out to the crows uh, four grand finals from six attempts i mean this is one of the great sort of australian sporting teams in recent history like, this is a phenomenal performance and uh, mm. if they can if they can clinch a third premiership from six years that far and away makes them the the most dominant team of this competition in its short history. Uh, three out of five premierships. It, it, it'll just be a phenomenal achievement. And it's all, it all comes down to, um, it's, it, it, you know, Disney couldn't have scripted a better script than this. You got Aaron Phillips and Daisy Pierce to the, the pretty much the two, the two biggest names of the competition over the six years coming together, meeting head to head. And it's just got, all the all the storylines that you want as well in a, in a, a crescendo of a sporting season, it really looms to be a, a fantastic uh, game. Well, I mean, a, a good comment on it too, and I guess uh, the strength of both clubs historically, even though Melbourne is in its first AFLW Grand Final, they've got some instantly recognisable players, haven't they? In fact, I reckon if you said the most casual fans of AFLW, uh, who are the AFLW players that first come to mind? Number one would be Aaron Phillips. Number two would be Daisy Pierce, or swap those two around. Number three, uh, possibly Taylor Harris. And number four, well, for me anyway, I, I'd say Ebony Marinoff, who has been an incredibly consistent player. So these are, um, you know, I won't, I won't disrespectfully say household names, but in in terms of discussion of women's football, they are four of the most instantly recognisable names in the caper, aren't they? Absolutely. You can even chuck in Chelsea Randall in there as well from, um, and Karen Paxman. I mean, there's just star after star after star. So it's just, it really does loom as a, as a, as a fantastic um, premiership decider and a really fitting way to end the season. And Melbourne, you've got to really give them credit because they have been the hard luck team of the AFLW so far, you know, in 2017 and 2018, they finished third both times when it was just the top two that made it to the grand final in 2019, they finished with, it was two conferences. They finished four and two, the exact same win loss as the the top of conference A, the, which I think was Carlton. But they finished fourth in conference a, in conference sorry conference B, and they finished fourth in conference A with the same win loss, and they didn't even make the finals. Twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, their prelim was cancelled. Twenty twenty one, they lost the prelim to I think Adelaide. So finally, finally, after banging that door down, they finally come through and they uh, and they play Adelaide. Uh, in this in this grand final, uh, so there's just lots of storylines, and um, yeah, it's going to be a hard one. I mean, I'm leaning towards Adelaide. I'm leaning towards Adelaide, but I think you know Melbourne have shown um, that they're a very good team. And one of my favourite plays is, is, is Alyssa Bannon, who was was just sensational on the weekend, kicking three of their their goals um, in that really gutsy win against Brisbane. And they're going to be hard to beat. Uh, they're going to be hard to beat the bees. I think. I think. I think the crows will probably win, but it's it's going to be it's going to go right down to the wire. I reckon. So it's going to be great to watch. All right. Uh, I'm, I know you've watched it pretty closely, particularly this season. I'm I'm going for the crows. Uh, look, last year, famously upset by Brisbane at home in the grand final, but uh, that home ground advantage is is pretty considerable. I think, and particularly in a grand final. So uh, I think that might make the difference and um, it'd be sad for Melbourne. They have certainly plugged away throughout the history of this comp, but it is looming as a terrific grand final. So make sure you watch it. Uh, it's certainly a great uh, curtain raiser, if you like, to the Saturday men's action. And uh, to acknowledge that, actually, the AFL pushing back 
the first of those Saturday games uh, between Sydney and North Melbourne to a 2.40 start to give the AFL um, W playoff the appropriate uh, status that it deserves. So make sure you tune in as we see who ends up winning the 2022 AFL W Premiership. One more story we need to cover off before we get stuck into the previews because it is important and uh, it is turning into a bit of a saga, not unsurprisingly, given one of the main characters involved. But I speak of revelations in the age last weekend uh, from Cyril Rioli and his wife about their treatment at uh, the hands of the Hawthorne Football Club. Um, one now well-documented incident between Rioli's wife and Jeff Kennett at the airport in Launceston, where he made a uh, joke, in inverted commas, about her torn jeans and offence uh, was taken. But, um, look, I think a lot of people are saying, well, is that enough on its own? Well, no, it's probably not. And I think uh, there's very strong hints here that that was the culmination. I think far more disturbing is the comment attributed to a senior teammate, uh, which we certainly won't be repeating here, but um, pertaining to uh, the... Uh, racial background of another Indigenous Hawthorne player's partner. So, uh, look, those my age or even a bit younger might be aware of historically some allegations levelled at Hawthorne about their, uh, uh, let's say, lack of interest in recruiting Indigenous players. In fact, I remember writing about this when Chance Bateman uh, became the first Hawthorne player to pass the 100-game milestone. This is back in 2008. Um, and former Hawk recruiter John Turnbull famously um, came out and basically laid it on the line and accused Hawthorne of being a racist football club. Now, uh, they've certainly had their share of Indigenous players since then. Um, it's a, a disturbing story this though because it, it's another example, and there's been a few too many lately, I reckon, that seem to underline that whilst football is good at making symbolic gestures, when it comes to racial harmony and recognising and being sensitive to Indigenous culture, it actually has a lot more trouble uh, talking the talk for any length of time. And I think that's, for me, the bigger issue that emerges from this as much as uh, what was the sad, I guess, and, and premature, far too premature end to Surreoli's AFL career. Obviously, a lot of pressure on Hawthorne President Jeff Kennett to stand down. Uh, that's been resisted thus far. Um, Justin Reeves, the CEO, putting out a statement today. Sam Mitchell has addressed this. Uh, it's proving a pretty unwarranted distraction. And uh, there was already a lot of conjecture about when Kennett might stand down. Uh, this might well bring it to a head sooner than later, Ronnie. Yeah, well, we're sort of seeing in some dispatches today that um, privately Kennett has a has essentially agreed to um, stand down as soon as they find a successor, which which is quite interesting. Um, whether that actually happens or not remains to be seen, but that's what's been reported. The thing that really struck me when I heard this on the week, it almost it was almost unbelievable that if, if you were to tell me a club was going to have an issue with um, Aboriginal or Indigenous or First Nations people, well, Hawthorne would have been like one of the last clubs in the modern era. Like, I'm not talking about his, from a historical perspective. Like, in the modern era, Lance Franklin, Sean Burgoyne, uh, Cyril Rioli, uh, now Chad Wingard, Chance Bateman, as you mentioned, they've had some 
John brilliant. Impey. John and Impey. You know, they've had some brilliant, brilliant Indigenous players walk through that football club. And to think that that could, that could be happening there, it just really, that's, that's the one thing that really shocked me. It's like, I guess it, it just goes to show that you just really never know what, what's going behind the scenes. And, and it's pretty, like, the thing, the, the one comment, um, you know, the, the, aside from the, the, you know, the, the racist comment that you mentioned earlier that we're definitely not going to repeat here, but aside from that being, you know, the, the shocker for me, but to, just to hear Cyril say um, in the article in The Age that Hawthorne would be the only club of the 18 clubs that he wouldn't help out. I mean, that just shows how far, how, how far estranged he is and how, how um, strained the relationship is. I mean, that's pretty, that's a pretty pointed comment for Cyril to say. And the fact that he said he probably won't even attend the 10 year reunion next year. That's pretty sad. A, a club legend, a modern day legend, a four time premiership hero, you know, to feel like that, you know, something must've seriously, it must've that series of events that was talked about must've been, must have really had a huge impact on him. Yeah, well, I think Sam Mitchell's um, reaction in this has been interesting too, because I think he, uh, more than some, has appreciated the cultural significance of, of putting this right and doing it quickly. Mm. Um, you know, because people on one hand might argue, well, he's now a former player. You know, in practical terms, does it mean that much? Well, yeah, it does, because... Um, you know, the Indigenous football community is a very, very tight-knit community and uh, they they feel each other's pain. You know, they ride each other's bumps. They look after each other. Uh, you wouldn't want to be have one of the greats of a club say, I will not, not have anything to do with my old club. That could have ramifications for them in a practical sense in terms of recruiting talent for years and years. But more than that, you know, th- that historical baggage that I spoke of, it's obviously a lot less relevant these days, but uh, the older among us remember it. And, uh, you know, they wouldn't want a return for that sort of reputation hovering over the club. So very important reasons to, to heal this rift as quickly as possible. And um, Jeff Kennett, well, look, I'll say this. I, I have, he's done other things that I think have been more insensitive than this. Though that's not necessarily a huge call because we're talking about Jeff Kennett, but um, it's the cumulative impact, I think. And look, given that he's been looking for a successor, or, any, or they've been looking for a successor, given that there's a challenge afoot and sort of simmering in in the wings there, and given that it's already his second term as as chairman, you know, step down now, really. I mean, mm. yeah, the longer he stays, the more damage threatens to be done. Huh? I think it's a bit of a no-brainer, to be honest. But uh, you'd agree, wouldn't you, the longer it goes on, the more potential it has for distracting away from what has been a really good start to the season on field for uh, the Hawks. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's not exactly hard for a club to have like a, you know, a caretaker, a standing chairman until until things are, are made official and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Cyril pretty much said that, you know, Kenneth's the reason why he won't come back. So, I mean, if there's going to be... If Kenneth's leaving soon anyway, and and Cyril's mentioned Kenneth as one of the reasons why he won't come back, it kind of it do, yeah, it does seem like a no-brainer to to start the healing process, to expedite the healing process. You you it probably sounds like Jeff's time might have to come to an end pretty soon. Well, I guess we'll find out soon enough. In the meantime, though, the season goes on and a big round four awaits us. Nine games ready for us to slice, dice, and analyze in the only way 
Footyology knows how, and that is thoroughly. Let's get into it. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round four kicks off at Adelaide Oval Thursday evening, 7.40pm Melbourne time. Uh, that is 7.10 Adelaide time, of course. Uh, Palmerbet. The boys of Palmerbet have Melbourne, not surprisingly. Pretty warm favourites for this one. The D's paying $1.41 head-to-head. Port Adelaide, even at home, a lucrative $2.93. Horror stuff for uh, the power last weekend, Ronnie. Um, It doesn't get worse than losing a showdown after the bell. They will be very chastened by that. The D's, in contrast, not firing on all cylinders really against Essendon, but um, really going up through the gears when it counted and deservedly starting pretty warm favourites at a ground they've performed well at in recent times. Yeah, although they did have that one-point loss to Adelaide last year. They ended their uh, 9-0 streak. So it's not all uh, beer and skills for them there. But uh, no, the Demons, uh, listen, if I was to choose between Melbourne and Port Adelaide, who I'd like to be right now, I would, uh, 10 times out of 10, I'd be choosing Melbourne because of the Port Adelaide power. Oh, man, I don't know what's going on there. Um, clearly, they're, you know, the... Robbie Gray and Charlie Dixon are obviously two very big outs, and I'm not sure if they're going to return this week. I think Robbie Gray might be now in COVID protocol, so they just can't buy a trick in that department. And, yeah, I mean, it's where to from here? This is all of a sudden, you know, it just shows how important last week was because now this is a real must-win. from Owen, If they get to 0-4, Rocco, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, let's just talk about Gray because the, the latest there is, and I should uh, hasten to add we are recording this Tuesday evening. Um, I'm told he should be out in time for Thursday night's game. So uh, he hasn't had a great run, though. He was close to returning from a knee injury last week, but then, of course, had to enter the health and safety protocols. Uh, Dixon uh, had a setback, and uh, the latest on that ankle is uh, he will now miss a, quote, extended period. Always a worry when clubs start talking in those terms. Generally, Mm -hmm. doesn't augur well. Uh, that's not all either. Uh, Cleary, um, knee injury. They wouldn't mind him uh, back up and running. Uh, Dersma uh, managed to pick up a neck injury playing in the Sandful on the weekend. So uh, Alir yeah. Alir, the big loss there out yeah. of the defence, which makes Cleary's absence some more telling. Two to three weeks for Alir. I'll tell you what, though. I was thinking this, that I think their depth has really been exposed. And even in terms of the cattle they have out there, I reckon their midfield is just way too thin. It's very wines and boke dependent. And uh, that's not a great uh, situation to have when you're coming up against undoubtedly the best midfield in the competition. Yeah, no, it's a very good point. I mean, they've they've sort of, I think Dan Houston, they've they've been using a bit to sort of um, counter what you just described there a bit further up the ground. You know, he's been, he's actually had quite a good start to the year. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty thin after wines and, and Boke, isn't it? And, you know, the, I mean, the problem is, I think, compounding poor Adelaide's woes is the fact that Melbourne's pretty much, except for maybe Christian Salem, I mean, Jack Lever's going to come back this week. Benny Brown's probably going to come back this week. And they're actually, um, they're like sport for choice, conversely. And uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's going to be, you know, I, yeah, listen, it, it's a it, must-win games can produce funny results and poor Adelaide, that might it might be the the thing that gets them going, but I just as you mentioned earlier, Melbourne are just 
Yeah, they're just cruising at the moment. And let's be honest, they probably at halftime against Essendon, they probably should have been up by about seven or eight goals. I mean, if they kicked a bit straighter, uh, Essendon wouldn't have been anywhere near it in the second half. Obviously, well, Essendon, yeah. It's a good point on their defence. So Lever and Petty both uh, due to return this week. So uh... Petty, Petty will probably be through the VFL. Uh, Simon Gooden said that after the game um, on Friday night. But um, but yeah, Lever will be back uh, in the AFL team. And yeah, I mean it's and you, he's going to link up with May. And I think their backline's actually done quite a pretty a uh, pretty good job in Lever's defence in the first three. In, sorry, in Lever's absence in the first three weeks. So they're just it, getting stronger and stronger. Interesting poser at the other end of the ground too. Of course, Wiedemann coming in for Ben Brown after the, the COVID protocols and, and uh, Moreland justifying his place. Um, I can't drop him, can they? I think the man they drop is Tom McDonald, Roker. I think, um, you know, he's not, he's not like being terrible, but I think good premiership teams... They have this sort of um, pressure at selection. And I think it's only a healthy thing. I think go with the guy that's, you know, he's kicked four, go- four goals, probably should kick six, he missed a few sitters. And, you know, Benny Brown comes back. I think unless they do something like if they maybe drop Tomlinson and put McDonald back. McDonald was actually quite good in the first round down back uh, against, against the Bulldogs in that first game. And that's sort of restructure. They may opt to do that. But I think, you know, in terms of the forward line, I think McDonald might be the man to go. I think it's a, it's a healthy thing that Melbourne have got going down there. I mentioned at the outset, Melbourne uh, certainly don't mind playing at Adelaide Oval. They've won seven out of nine games there. And the two that they've lost have been by one point, as you mentioned last year against Adelaide, and 10 points a couple of years prior to that, or in fact, I think 2018 against Port Adelaide. So it's a ground they really enjoy playing at. They're in good form. They're healthy, they're fit, they win. Um, Melbourne, for me, by, let's say, 28 points. I'll say Melbourne by, hmm, I'll say, 21 points. All right, okay. Now, we've got a little uh, convention here. You stick with the odd-numbered tips. I'm going to stick with the even-numbered margins. (laughs) That's a a thing that Finey sort of oversaw, typical finey sort of uh, quirk that uh, we've decided to keep going in his honour, my former footyology co-host. And a big hello to the fine family too, operating now the wonderful Wenny's Fine Foods establishment down uh, there on the corner of Kunang and Inkerman Street in Caulfield. Oh, Kuyong, sorry. Sorry, getting my uh, nangs and nongs (laughs) mixed up. But uh, very, very good fare indeed, I'm told. Get down there and check it out. That is Thursday evening. Let's turn our attention to Friday. Friday evening, we're down at GMHBA Stadium, otherwise known as Cadinia Park, uh, formerly known as, uh, what, Skilled Stadium, Shell Stadium. Stadium, And even, I think, Baytex Stadium. Baytex Stadium, (laughs) yes. Yes, what hasn't that ground been called? Uh, Anyway, you know what we're talking about. We're talking about the Cattery, and it is a very big clash indeed. Geelong taking on Brisbane, 7.50 p.m. We kick off, of course, this fixture last year, that memorable finish, uh, I think it was round two, wasn't it, when Zach Bailey had, uh, was Mark Blitzarves, good nailed for all money in the goal square, somehow didn't get the free kick. Of course, uh, Karma visited upon him the week after when he kicked the winning goal against uh, Collingwood at Marvel Stadium, but this was a game that Lions were very stiff to lose. 
And, uh, well, you'd think they're just about start favourite. They are in scintillating form. But because it's Geelong and because that is such an amazing pronounced home ground advantage over the years for the Cats, it is Geelong who Palmerbet have installed as favourites in this game. Uh, $1.79, the Cats paying head-to-head. Brisbane, not too bad. They are paying $2.07. Get tackle-busting benefits all this season. Thanks to Palmerbet. Of course, Ronnie, of course, always remember to gamble responsibly. Well, uh, look, Brisbane's form is faultless. Uh, well, it is faultless now. Not, not necessarily the case the first two weeks, but they really cranked it up a gear at the weekend. Uh, Geelong, well, they weren't looking too flash at three-quarter time last week, but one of their bigger and better comebacks in, in uh, the modern era, really, against the Pies, rattled home with the last seven goals of that game to get up off the canvas and win a ripper, and that will send them into this game uh, pretty confident that they can fire that up, of course, on their home patch. How are you seeing this one? Well, you mentioned uh, Geelong's home record in recent times, but they have lost two of their last three there. So, I mean, how good is that advantage? Uh, yeah, they lost the GWS and one of the more famous results in that, probably that club's best ever win, really, let's be honest. And Melbourne, who could forget that in the, the last round last year? Having said that, those games were, weren't played in front of crowds. So, I mean, you know, would, would the crowd get them over the line both those games? Who knows? But the results are in the book. And giving that, having said that, I think Brisbane head into this very confident as yet. Yeah, go on. What? No, go on. Keep going. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Well, as you, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, they, they were absolutely robbed last year. They should have had that win. And they're in. They're they're playing better football than John. It's as simple as that. And uh, I think they'll be very confident. Just on on the, uh, I, I do like my sort of history when it comes to venues and matchups and whatever. And Brisbane's record at this ground is quite amazing. Do you know the Lions? Well, in in their Brisbane Lions phase, so from '97 onwards, actually won 12 of their first 13 visits to the Cattery from '97 wow. to '05. I don't reckon any, uh, oh, sorry, for 12 of their first 13 games against Geelong, I should say. Several of them, though, at Cadinia yeah. Park. Since then, um, the Cats have won 21 of the last 25. Um, mm. Brisbane won the first five they played at Cadinia Park. I, I correct myself there. But they have, however, lost the last 12. So it's certainly got in waves. They're probably due again, I think. Um, what fascinates me about this is Geelong's defence is so stingy and works so well to deny opponent scores. But this Brisbane attack is something else. So uh, the high-scoring side in the competition last year, it's their spread of goal kickers um, as much as the potency of the key targets that really uh, stands out. They are going to be really hard to stop even down there at Canadian Park. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Um, and, I mean, you know, McCarthy, Cameron, Danaher, McStay, and they even Cockatoos now uh, bobbing up. I mean, they're, they're medical team. To get McCarthy, Cockatoo and Danaher now playing regularly on a regular basis after all the injury problems that they had. I don't know what they're doing up there, but they're doing it properly. It's a really good advertisement for future talent who might be struggling with injury. Come up to Brisbane, we'll sort you out. So... Yeah, they're looking very, very potent. Um, having said that, Geelong, you know, take away that third quarter. I mean, that Jeremy Cameron was completely unstoppable in that last, in the last quarter. Having said that, uh, Marcus Adams is in brilliant form uh, for the Lions early on. So, 
Yeah, and the Tomahawk is obviously still he's, he's just evergreen, isn't he? So I mean they've got their they've got their um, avenues to go as well. But yeah, Brisbane they just look a lot more convincing at the moment. I think they're doing it a, a bit easier than the Cats. The Cats obviously had that walkover win against the Bombers pretty much in the first week, but since then they found the they found the going a bit tough. You know the Swannies had their measure quite comfortably, and it took a real you know once in a season or two comeback against the Pies to get over the line. Uh, Brisbane, on the other hand, they're just chugging along beautifully. So it's the fact that it's a continued park, as you said, that just sort of puts a bit of a span in the works. I mean, do we tip Brisbane, do we tip Geelong? I think I'm still leaning towards the Lions. I know they played North last week and, you know, North are probably going to get beaten like that many times this year, but it's the manner in which they did it. And they just, it was just go to woe, pedal to the metal, and they just taught North a lesson. And they head into this game in just phenomenal form. I think uh, Chris Scott's got a, a bit of a conundrum here in terms of the tactics they take into this game because historically Geelong has been terrific at shutting the lines down. In fact, uh, what is it? Three, six, eight, eleven. Cats have won eleven of the last thirteen against Brisbane, mm. and in just about all those wins, they've restricted the lines to scores of you know fifty something points, sixty something points. But uh, as the Lions' attack has got better, and when they did beat Geelong comfortably last year up at the Gabba by seven goals, uh, nearly topped 100 points, which seldom happens against the Cats. So their defensive mindset, you know, which operates from midfield, it's not just the, the back six, has worked well for them. However, I thought what really got them back into this game was just uh, last week against the Pies was taking the handbrake off. And I thought the last quarters of three lesser lights, if you like, Brandon Parfitt, Maxi Holmes, my boy, and Brad <laughs> and Brad Close were absolutely crucial for them. So they need that dash and spark, I think, to be able to match Brisbane as much as they need that defensive grit. And it's going to be interesting to say to see which way Scott leans in terms of how they play. Yeah, no, it's it's a very good point you raise, and. And what the Cats don't want to do is be down 37 in contested possessions at three-quarter time as they were against Collingwood because if that's the case against the Lions, uh, there'll be no comeback in the final quarter. And the game will be well and truly done by then. Well, i got to say, I, I cannot remember, I ser- literally cannot remember the last time I tipped against Geelong playing at Cadinia Park. But I'm going to do it because I just think Brisbane is red hot. I think Geelong's last quarter might have, covered over a, a, a few cracks in the machinery, if you like. Um, and I think Brisbane, <laughs> they'll be ready to go a couple of points better this time after uh, basically being robbed in that game last year. So I am tipping against Geelong at Geelong. Mark this one down. I don't think the, I don't think Brisbane will win by a lot, but I'm going for the Lions by eight points. What say you? I'll say the Lions by nine points. All right. And... And hopefully the Brisbane fans don't get kicked out before the start of the game this time around because all, of COVID issues. All, all, uh, all 16 of them. <laughs> I don't think opposition fans get me squeeze many in down there, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's I do remember that happening. Yeah, so uh, better luck this year. All right, uh, that is Friday night covered off. Let's turn our attention to Saturday. First game on Saturday afternoon is at the SCG. 2.40 p.m., of course, that later start time, allowing a bit of, uh, what do they call it, clear air, I think they like to call it, around the AFLW Grand Final. And fair enough, too. Very important occasion on the football calendar. 
not sure this one will be seen as a very important occasion on the football calendar uh, because uh, one side going pretty well and the other side, oof, they had a Barry Crocker last week, which we'll talk about. Palmer bet, while the odds certainly reflect that uh, disparity, disparity in form, Sydney paying just $1.07 head-to-head. And North Melbourne, if you fancy the upset, you can get $8.60 on the Ruse head-to-head with Palmer bet. Get your tackle-busting benefits all season, thanks to Palmerbet. Of course, when you're doing that, remembering to gamble responsibly. Um, hard to see anything here, but a pretty convincing win to the Swannies, I would say. Do you agree? Yeah, I think the nightmare is going to have a sequel this week, unfortunately, for North Melbourne. Um, and, I mean, I don't want to look too far ahead, but they got the Bulldogs the week after. This three-week period could be just... A complete and utter disaster for the Kangaroos, unfortunately. Um, yeah, they were terrible. They were really, I mean, from the get-go, I think Brisbane kicked the first three goals in about eight minutes and just, you just knew from there it was just, it wasn't going to go well for them. And and the biggest indictment is the fact that the, the final margin was probably a flattering margin because I think Brisbane's kicked something like 23-18 or something. Like, they yeah. just had so many shots on goal and they just did as they pleased and... Nah, it was a pretty sorry night for the old Kangas. And I think, unfortunately for them, there's going to be a pretty similar result this week because of the Swannies, as you mentioned. Um, you know, they started with a bang and they almost, last week, almost pinched a, a win that they shouldn't have won against the Doggies. They came really hard at the end. And that's just, that's a sign of a really good team, you know, especially against a team like the Dogs. Uh, yeah, up at the SCG, I can't see this ending any other way other than a Sydney win, unfortunately for the Roos. I think, uh, well, just on that, uh, the Roos have actually won uh, their share at the SCG. In fact, they've won two of their last three at the SCG. But the last of them, and it's the last time they appeared at the SCG, was back in 2018. The Swans have won seven of their last eight against the Roos at all venues. Look, for me, this is just about North Melbourne's lack of depth. Um you know, and, and there's not a lot they can do about it. They've just, they've been really stiff with who they've lost. Ben Cunnington is just such a, a massive out for that side. And, um, you know, what terrible story with him and testicular cancer. You know, let's keep our fingers crossed he can come back. But mm. who's to say if he ever comes back? Mm. Um, Taron Thomas, massive loss to them. You know, in terms of talent, he's in their top two or three players, surely. He's, uh, he's going to miss another, I think, month at least. Uh, one plus for them. Luke Davies Uniac comes back from concussion this week. Will Phillips is another one. You know, they've missed him. He's had glandular fever. He's out for yeah. another couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, a side like North loses that amount of talent and they're immediately in all sorts of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, Sydney, on the other hand, well, you know, they've been motored along quite well without even a guy like Tom Papley, who's probably still another couple of weeks away. Um, Interesting for them that, you know, they loaded up on uh, big men and in, there's an argument it's just as well they did because Sam Naismith's out for the season. Tom Hickey now injured his knee last week. He's going to be out for six weeks. But fortunately, they do have other ruckmen to uh, fill the breach. So some shrewd recru- recruiting for them. The other um, injury update, if you like, with the Swans is Justin McInerney, my love child, <laughs> and, uh, actually, I've got a couple up there. McInerney and Chad Warner's the other one. Uh, McInerney will be tested, and he has some sort of chance after missing the last two games. And look, the Swans will 
pairs from everywhere. They've got more midfield depth. Um, Swan's pretty potent up forward those days. Fourth highest scoring side in the competition last year. And I don't think North really has the attack to worry him. It's sort of Nick Larky or bust at the moment. So hard to see if they're going to engineer an upset, just where it's going to come from. Yeah. I mean, as you said, they probably get a mini, mini advantage in the ruck with Goldstein. Um, but then again, I mean, as you say, Peter Laddams will probably come back or Callum Sinclair, one of those two. You'd probably lean towards Laddams. And Laddams, as, I mean, he was more than handy at Port Adelaide. So I think he'll be, that'll probably be his first game, I think, off the top of my head. Because he was, he was, I think he may have, he may have been the Medi sub last week, or at least an emergency. Because I did, I mean, I was covering the game. I remember seeing him out there on the ground, sort of warming up beforehand. So he's not far away, and uh, he'll be keen to put in a pretty a pretty good showing for his first game. But yeah, no, nah, it's can't see this ending other uh, any other way other than a Sydney win and a probably a big win. I'm going to say, geez, I'm going to say 62 points for the Swannies. It's a decent margin. What, what is their obsession with Ruckman the Swans? I'm just, I'm just thinking you got. Tom Hickey, Sam Naismith, uh, Hayden McLean, um, what's his name? Peter Adams, Sinclair, and Callum Sinclair. Well, McLean's oh. probably yeah. McLean's um, probably more of a forward. Though, he's isn't more he? of a forward, but yeah. he can he yeah. can play in the ruck. I mean, but I mean, uh, Naismith hasn't played for like almost two years, so that's probably why they've loaded up. Because I mean, yeah. when you really think about it, it's probably and now Hickey's gone down, but Hickey they've really only got three ruck really. So it's Hickey, Sinclair, and and Laddams and Laddams and Sinclair can can rotate forward. They can they can sort of drift forward, and they probably see them well, as guys that, that can pinch a goal here and there. And that's a very good point. Of those five guys, at least three of them are, are pretty handy going forward. So yeah, uh, yeah. And I got think young Joel Armadi as well. So yes, and and yeah. another one who yeah. is pretty yeah no good call. It's uh, interesting recruiting, and yeah. uh, it's coming very handy for them this week. Uh, look, I'm so 61 points your margin. Uh, 62 for me. No, you got to go odds. I told you to go odds. You got to go. On oh, odds. So I ha- every single time I have to go odds. You do. Ah, all right. So make it 61. Put me down for a 61. All right. I'm going to. I'm going to bank on North finding something. Uh, it won't be nearly enough to win, however, and I'm going for Sydney to win this one by let's say 36 points. That is Saturday afternoon at the SCG. Uh, Let's talk about Twilight down in Melbourne town. 4.35pm Melbourne time at Marvel Stadium. It is Collingwood taking on West Coast. Uh, One team on a real high, the Magpies, two and one. You could argue, probably could have been three and zip after letting that lead slip against the Cats last week. The Eagles... Well, just a world of pain for them on, off. Everywhere you look for them, there's just problems. They're whisked. They've got injuries. They've got COVID protocols. They've made it, what, 14 changes round two, I think 13, 12 or 13 last week. There's just issues for them all over the place. What will happen this week? Uh, well, Palmer bet and uh, get tackle-busting benefits all season with the boys at Palmer bet. Uh, they are installing Collingwood, a very warm favourite, $1.23. West Coast, you can get $4.20 on them. Well, Ronnie, they've had some uh, epic, epic. Uh, do you feel, I've got to make a confession here. It feels really funny calling you Ronnie. My pet name for Ronnie, uh, <laughs> listeners, is Randy after a, um, a character in Trailer Park Boys, a fantastic <laughs> Canadian comedy. If yeah. you've seen it, whereas. I am other. I am known as either Leahy or Cyrus. 
Um, if you look up the show, you'll see none of those uh, nicknames are terribly um, uh, flattering. Let's put it that way. But anyway, seeing we're going all formal, Ronnie. Um, yes, Rowan. These two have had some epic battles over the years, of course, and uh, who will ever forget that amazing grand final. Uh, in fact, they played three finals against each other, what, in the last four seasons. Uh, but pretty hard to see this one being anywhere on the same level, given the sort of odds the Eagles are up against. And uh, when we talk about odds, that injury list, um, people have been checking it for laughs each week. How many on it this week? Let's see, three, six, nine, 12, 15, 17. So it has come down. It was 25 last week. It's down to 17 this week. But just to give you an idea of some of the players still out of the equation for the Eagles. Oscar Allen, still three weeks away. Uh, Tom Cole, he's on the long-term injury list. Jamie Cripps, still at least a couple away. Um, who else? Tim Kelly, still a couple away. Uh, Dom Sheed, another five weeks. Uh, Elliot Yo, still another couple of weeks. There's some pretty serious talent. Um, look, their record at Marvel Stadium is, is reasonable, but uh, hard to see them. Uh, raising much of a yelp against what has been a very impressive Collingwood. No, I agree. And I, may, I, I must admit, I've got to put the hand up. I got sucked in last week by looking at all the potential ins that West Coast could have had against Freo, tipped them, and really didn't factor in the uh, the upheaval element of it and the unsettled element of what is going on at West Coast at the moment. And as a result of that, I'm just I'm going with Collingwood, a lot more settled at home. And, you know, I mean, look at the performance West Coast put up against Collingwood last year when they, were, they weren't having these troubles at all. That game of the MCG was one of the more embarrassing performances in the Adam Simpson era. Um, you know, I think finals were still on the table for West Coast at that stage. Um, and, yeah, I, I just think West uh, Collingwood are playing, I mean, you, you, you line up their first three rounds to West Coast first three rounds. It's, it's night and day, isn't it? And, obviously, we know the issues that the Eagles have had. But, um, yeah, it's going to be very hard to tip against Collingwood this week. Um, listen, you look at, you do look at West Coast and, you know, they'll, they'll be hoping to get Luke Shuey back. They'll be hoping to get, uh, who else? They'll be hoping to get uh, Tom Barris could come back as well. Yeah. Uh, Liam Duggan could come back. Um, and, you know, to a lesser extent, Jermaine Jones maybe from a hamstring injury, but he's not like uh, be all end or Willie Rowley could come back. He was, he was probably the best, close to the best player on the ground uh, against North Melbourne outside of Nick Larky, who kicked six. Um, so there's, listen, they, they could get some talent back, but I just think traveling to Melbourne and all the upheaval that they're still going through, I mean, it's still a lot of changes. Uh, they can't get settled. Uh, yeah, it'll take a really good effort for them to win, I think. This, the thing I was thinking watching him in the uh, Derby, make sure you never say Derby, it really upset some Derby last week, was that even the COVID stuff aside, they are a seriously lesser uh, outfit and list than they were um, even a couple of years ago. And don't forget 2020, they lost that elimination final to Collingwood by a point. Um, should never have lost that. You know, they, they were really a top four quality side, but gee, they've dropped alarmingly quickly you know we we know that they're an old list now but a lot of the players on on that inactive list at the moment they're hardly match winners are they so they're relying on fewer stars now and when any number of them are out and a lot of them are out now they are really going to struggle Collingwood in contrast and look 
Uh, at some stage, I'm going to have to do a mea culpa. I um, very stupidly, in retrospect, ended up, uh, I'll just say it quietly, tipping Collingwood to a Norton Spoon. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was my, my Robbo effort for this season, I think. It sort of, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have designs on making wooden spooners. It just sort of panned out like that. I had them below everyone else. And I was sort of like, oh, look who's last on my ladder. Well, I'm looking like an idiot already because they have been terrific. They've been playing some really inspired footy. You can see them enjoying their footy a lot more under Craig McRae. Um, they're certainly playing a more direct style. That's been talked about a lot. They're more corridor centric. They move the ball more quickly. Um, but some of these kids are really responding, aren't they? And uh, in terms of their fitness, well, um, Jordan Ruffhead, a chance to play his first game of the season and against a pretty tall forward line, um, he would be a pretty welcome return. Uh, they've got a few injuries, though. Bo, Bo McCreary, um, he's out for another couple of weeks. Uh, who else we got? Uh, Nathan Kruger probably out for another couple of weeks. Um Nathan Murphy, four or five weeks away. Trey Rusco, a test. Uh, but, you know, look, Collingwood are, are playing uh, really effervescent sort of football. And um, that third quarter, yeah, okay, they didn't win the game in the end, but that third quarter assault on the Cats, what was it, nine goals? Um, that was terrific to watch. And that will give them a, a pretty big fill-up, I reckon, for uh, some time this season because we now, and they now, know the sort of football of which they're capable when things uh, work in their favour. And, and and don't forget that, I mean, everyone gets caught up in the third quarter, but the first half was very impressive as well, Colin. Like, they were right on top, and they kicked 4-11. Like, if they ki- actually kicked straight, they would have been four or five goals up at half time, but they found themselves down by a kick when Dangerfield slowed that one. So there was a lot to like about Collingwood's game on, on the weekend. And as you mentioned earlier, I mean, I didn't even have West Coast in the top eight pre-season. Then when you add all these issues that they're dealing with too, uh, it's, it's, it's Collingwood for me. I'm going to say Collingwood by, I'll say 23 points. 23 points for you. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go a bit, bit more than that. Uh, I reckon they're playing some seriously decent footy and I reckon the Eagles aren't. And the Eagles, they had a little spell of playing okay at the MCG, the Eagles. They actually won five in a row there over 2018 and 19. Of course, that taking into grand final. They've lost three out of four at the venue since. Um, it's at Marvel, though. It's at Mar- the game's at Marvel. Oh, it's at Marvel, is it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it is too. So why am I talking about the MCG? You idiot, Connolly. <laughs> Thanks for pulling me up on that. Um Really, we should redo that, but let's not. Let's leave it in for comic uh, comic purposes. All right. So West Coast record at Marvel was pretty reasonable. Um, I did say that at the start of this preview too. How am I going? <laughs> anyway, I don't think they're good enough to win this. I think Collingwood uh, is playing much better footy, and uh, I think they could well end up a better team over the course of the whole season. I'm going for the Pies to win by 34 points. And now... Let's talk about a game to be played on Saturday evening. And this one is at the MCG. (laughs) Saturday evening at the MCG, 7.25pm, Richmond taking on the Western Bulldogs. And uh, perhaps a little surprisingly, both sides not exactly flying. In fact, both with a 1-2 win-loss record after West End dynamic starts to the new season. What happens in this 
clash once they must win. That would be silly, but uh, certainly important that both start getting a wriggle on. Well, Palmerbet tell us that Richmond is paying two dollars fifty-three. Uh, Western Bulldogs, the favourites for this game, head-to-head with Palmerbet, a dollar fifty-two. And remember, you get tackle-busting benefits all season with Palmerbet as long as you promise to gamble responsibly. Interesting dynamic between uh, these two, Ronnie. Uh, Richmond have won three of the last four against the Doggies. Um, the MCG, well, you know, in those premiership years, we're talking about them like they're an eternity ago and they're not. But in, in some terms, they are because Richmond were, the MCG was an absolute fortress well, the Tigers have won just three of their last 11 games at the MCG. So times have changed and they're up against a opponent, which, uh, well, runner up from last year. So they've got their hands full of Tigers and in danger of slipping to one and three. What do you see happening here? Oh, they're going to slip to one and three, I reckon. Um, the, the Dogs definitely uh, took a turn for the better last week. I guess a very good opposition. I think Sydney are going to be right up there. Um, towards the end of the year, uh, you know, again, the, I mean, the, the one thing that's probably the Bulldogs' Achilles' heel this year, the biggest one, is their goal kicking. Um, you know, they almost cost themselves a win last week uh, because of how poorly they kicked. Uh, you know, Sydney almost pinched it at the end when they were in control all game. Like it was, you know, the dogs were dominant, really, but the scoreboard didn't show that. And the week before, their last seven scores against Carlton were all behinds. So that's one issue. And obviously, Josh Bruce's absence is really being pronounced at the moment. And, you know, the, and they do lose Zane Coy to concussion, who, you know, is the try to use as a, a backup for Aaron Norton. Um, so, yeah, they, they do have their issues up in attack. But, you know, everywhere else, they were, they were pretty sound last week against a pretty strong Sneed team. And, yeah, I think the way that, you know, you, you, you marry up the way both teams play and Richmond are really vulnerable to the way the dogs play, I reckon, because the dogs are just, if they get a hold of you and Richmond have already shown a couple of times this year against, um, against uh, who they played last week, it was the Saints and, and against, Carlton, against yeah. Carlton. Yeah, those two games they really showed when if a team, a, a young, fast, exciting team can get a hold of them, they, they, they have got no capability of putting a halt to it. And this goes back to last year. I mean, the second half of the, the, those games, those games in particular really reminded me of, of Richmond's second half of last year. There were games against St Kilda, games against Collingwood, where they just, once those teams put a, a run on them, they just couldn't stop them. And so the, the, the real issue with Richmond is it's bled into this, this year as well. So it doesn't look like much has changed. Well, I think, you know, when sides have a bad run with injuries, you sort of focus on that. And it's easy when you do that to overlook uh, bigger picture issues which are happening at the same time. And that for Richmond is that they have lost a fair bit of depth over a number of seasons, as will happen with successful sides where fringe players can't get games consistently and go elsewhere for opportunity. So whereas if Richmond, even in 2020, you know, had a, a truckload of injuries, they had really capable replacements coming in. Some of these guys coming into the Richmond lineup now, they're not, you know, like Ralph Smith. He's showing a bit more, but they're not quite as able as the guys who were doing that two or three years previously. Like, well, two or three years previously, it was the likes of 
Noah Bolter or, or Jack Higgins or, you know, someone yeah. like that. They don't have that now. And the other way this has shown up, I think, is when you look at that injury list, that, yes, they're obviously key players. Now, who are we talking about? Dylan Grimes will miss another block of games after coming back last week with hamstring. Uh, Kane Lambert, we don't know when he's coming back. That's indefinite. Dustin Martin, personal leave, you know, we're not sure when he returns. Dion Prestia, uh, probably likely to come back. Rewalt uh, should be back, but, you know, neither of them are, are set in stone. But whereas a couple of years ago, even that roll call of stars, they could possibly have survived, it's hard to see how they do now. And, and you're right, the Dogs are a, a, a senior team. They're well-drilled. They've got great run. I'm, I'm not sure the Tigers have quite the pace and the leg speed they used to. And I think that all sort of equates to a Western Bulldogs win. Um, Richmond, in that case, would be 1-3. Will they fall off a cliff? I don't think they will, but um, it's going to be pretty hard going until everyone on that injury list comes back, not just a couple of them. Mm, yeah. Uh, no, I agree with you. The only thing that can get in the Bulldogs' way this week is their goal kicking. If they if they kick straight, uh, Richmond are no chance, in my opinion. Um, but you're right. Uh, like the the players that you mentioned, I mean, sweet, I mean, the, the, um, no bigger name than Dustin Martin. I mean, that's really that's really killing them as well. And listen, we hope everything's all right with Dusty, and we hope we do see him eventually again. But um, if if we never do, um. It would be a shame, but he's you know life's bigger than football, obviously. But yeah, they, they are they are really struggling to cover those those big names on a consistent basis. All right, give us um, your tip. I'll say the doggies by thirty three points. Ooh, healthy margin. Uh, I'm going to wind it back a tad. I can see this being a pretty tight battle. I reckon Richmond might try and uh, close it down and see if they can pinch a win that way. Um, I think it might still be a struggle for them in the end, though. I'm going for the Bulldogs by, let's say, 16 points to win that one. All right, that is one of the Saturday night games. Uh, the other one is over in Perth. Optus Stadium in Perth, 7.25 uh, Eastern Standard Time. Now we're out of daylight savings, so that is 5.25. Over in Perth, Fremantle taking on GWS. Um, pretty even the betting on this one. The boys at Palmerbet are telling us uh, Fremantle paying a dollar eighty nine head to head, just uh, getting in hand in front as favourite from GWS, who are paying a dollar ninety five head to head. Uh, historically, this hasn't been a very happy hunting ground for the Giants at all. And remember that Optus Stadium's only been a venue since the Giants have been a pretty decent side, but their record there is one win and seven losses. That said, they're not exactly taking on the creme de la creme of the AFL because that Fremantle win over West Coast last week was hard work and uh, hard work particularly for the viewer. It was pretty turgid. Let's be totally honest about it. However, the Dockers going in nominal favourites. Um, what's going to happen in this one? Oh, who knows? I mean, this is a pretty tough game to tip, isn't it? <laughs> you you said mean, who knows, but you really wanted to say who cares then. <laughs> well, listen, both teams are pretty... I think GDO West probably have more injury concerns than, than Freo do. Um, it's, that could be a factor that tips it in, the, in Freo's 
favoured by default. I mean, I know the Dockers are still without five, and that's that doesn't get much bigger than that. Um, you know, they'll be hoping to get uh, Mundy back um, from the COVID protocols. That'll be a nice boost. Um, yeah, and Sarong, Sarong uh, apparently was on light duties um, this week. Uh, but the Giants, on the other hand, they're sort of yeah, they've got quite a very lengthy injury list still. I mean, they, I mean, as much as you couldn't look into Fremantle's, I mean, you couldn't really look much into the Giants. I mean, either. I mean, they played Gold Coast, uh, who uh, put in a vintage performance by their standards. Um, didn't take them long to sort of uh, shun their fast start uh, reputation that they've built over the last few years. They were terrible Gold Coast. I mean, they they really that was a really flattering margin. Uh, they should have lost by about ten goals. The Giants just put the foot off the pedal in the end. What's well, well, you, you make a really good point about the, um, the Giants injury list there. Nick Haynes hurt his ankle. He was subbed out. Uh, so you'd uh, have to think he's pretty unlikely. Toby Green, of course, that um, six-week suspension from the elimination final last year still mm. coming back to bite them, as it was always going to do. And it may, who knows, it may cost some finals this yep. year. But uh, they have a lot of players on their injury list. And just to give you an idea, Jack Buckley, he's out for at least three months. Brent Daniels still at least a month away. Phil Davis did that hamstring the other week. He's going to miss at least eight weeks. Green doesn't come back until round six. Might have lost Haynes. Might have lost Jacob Hock, or might be without Jacob Hopper. Daniel Lloyd, shoulder injury. He's going to miss at least eight weeks. Uh, Connor Stone, a hamstring couple for him. And Zach Sproul, a shoulder injury, four weeks. So, uh, again, GWS, you know, we, we used to talk about them being a Ferrari. Those days are long gone. They're more a, a Commodore these days. And, um, and and I say that with all due respect, by the way. I'm a lifelong Commodore driver, and I love that car. I had a Commodore for a long time as well. Good car. Great, great car, easy to drive, and, I'm boy, I'm going to be heartbroken when I have to change up, I'm just going to drive this 2013 Commodore into the ground. But I digress. If we're doing the car analogy, they are far more like a <laughs> Commodore these days. And unfortunately, given that injury list I just read out, this Commodore is losing parts left, right and centre all the while it drives along the highway. You got any more car analogies you can work with? Well, I think the green suspenders really backfired on them, uh, Rocco. That's and good. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> Keep going. Um, you think well, they're just going to find a way to muffle the uh, the Dockers' attack, don't they? <laughs> Do you think they're poised to wet the air out of their tyres? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, uh, they might want to just uh, windscreen wipe the last couple of performances. All right, that'll do. Don't overplay <laughs> your hand. Come on, let's talk footy. Nah, listen, um, I think... Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna. I don't like doing it, but I think I'm gonna lean towards Frio just by default. I hate default tips because they don't. They don't really deserve my my tip, but I think they're gonna just get it just by the fact it's over there. And I can't really read too much into the Giants' last win. You know what I mean? That's not not that Frio that much. I'm you know that the world beaters, but the Suns were just terrible. And uh, I think over there, even though the Dockers did lose to the Saints pretty recently. Um, yeah, I'm going to give them one last chance, you know. Uh, we'll see how they go. I think I'm going to tip Freo by 11 points. I think, um, look, on, on the injury front, I think they're, they're likely to be in a better position than Giants, aren't they? I mean, Monday, yeah. pretty sure Monday will be right. Sarong, less certain, but I think some chance. Um, Darcy was close to playing against the Eagles, so you'd expect him to come back. 
Um, even Pierce and, uh, you know, looked very concerning for Pierce uh, last Sunday, but he appears to have come up okay. In fact, he's not even listed on mm. the injury list. Maybe he's got his own injury list because he's been injured so often. But uh, <laughs> either way, he's absent from the uh, casualty list, so he should be okay to play. Look, they they need to, uh, you know, in terms of credibility, I think, as a potential finalist, they need to absolutely need to win this. But they need to win it pretty well, too. I think, um, you know, if they play the sort of footy, pedestrian, slow movement, you know, low scoring, if they play that type of game, they played against the Eagles, against too many other sides, they're not going to be winning too many games. But as we said, the Giants, major injury issues. It's at a venue they don't perform well at. Um, I think uh, they're going to struggle. Dockers for me. So give us your tip and a margin, if you will. Yep, Freo by 11 points. All right, I am going for Fremantle as well. I reckon they might do it a bit more comfortably than that. I'm going for Freo by 22 points. That is uh, 22. That is the Saturday games. Let's turn our attention to Sunday. First game on the Sunday menu is at Marvel Stadium, 1.10pm. It sees Essendon up against Adelaide. Uh, two teams with one win between them from six games thus far. And uh, that, of course, only coming after the siren for the Crows last week in that memorable uh, showdown victory over their arch enemy. Uh, despite that, Essendon still going in. Uh, pretty reasonable favourites here, courtesy of Palmer Bet. The Bombers, you can get $1.45 head-to-head on the Dons. Adelaide paying $2.76, thanks to Palmer Bet. Get tackle-busting benefits all this season. Thanks to Palmer Bet, always remembering to gamble responsibly. Well, Bombers have won their last four against the Crows. Ronnie, Adelaide's last win against Essendon back in 2017. I do have a bit of a theory about the Crows at Marvel Stadium. I reckon they have been okay there. So I was interested to see what the overall record at Marvel was for them. It is exactly... 50%. They've won 33 and lost 33. Will the ledger be black or red, ironically, uh, after this game on Sunday afternoon for the Crows? Yeah, I think Adelaide were, uh, especially in the turn of the century, like towards the early parts of the 2000s, they were very good at Docklands. Uh, They really liked the stadium. Not too sure what the win loss is in recent times, but I do remember the last time they played Essendon, they were held to their lowest ever score at Marvel at the at the ground they're playing at this week. I think they kicked something silly like two nine twenty one or something ridiculous like that on a Friday night. So Essendon um, will take sort of a comfort out of that. I think Archie Perkins was quite good that night. I think maybe even got the Rising Star nomination that night. Um, yeah, and the Dons, listen, it's a pretty deceptive 0-3, I reckon. I mean, they were absolutely deplorable against Geelong, but I think they were, the, you know, they didn't disgrace themselves against Brisbane or Melbourne in the last couple of weeks. They're just um, just on a, a level or two below those two sides, and I think they've probably had one of the toughest starts of the year as well. I mean, Geelong, Brisbane, Melbourne, it's a, it doesn't get much harder than that, and I think they sort of, you know, last week Peter Wright was lining up with, at the 21-minute mark to get the Dons within six points of the last quarter. So, uh, yeah, you know, they led Brisbane by 23 points. So they, they they were much improved to round one, but they are 0-3. So it makes this week's game a must-win. And I think with um, Nick Cox coming back, I think with um, 
uh, Will Snelling potentially coming back. I think with Harry Jones is a big one. I mean, as good as Peter Wright has been, the, the Essendon's forward line really has struggled. To Essendon's credit, the, the, they have made the most of their inside 50. So they've been quite efficient, but the problem is that hasn't gone inside 50 enough. So the double, the, the one-two punch there will be really crucial if he can play. I, I think I think Jones has been a, a major absentee for them. And, you know, it sort of belies the amount of experience he has. But structurally, I think he's really important for them. And Wright has been superb, no doubt about that. But I just reckon he could be that more dangerous again if Jones was, uh, you know, making those hard leads up the middle of the ground as he's prone to do. So he can't return quickly enough. Uh, Snelling would be a very welcome return indeed. Um, but... You know, I think we talk about the improvement of Essendon's midfield, and I'll, I'll give you that. But gee, losing two uh, important players to it makes such a big difference. And talking about their Blankford and Merritt, and uh, I think they're going to be feeling the pinch on that score for some time. Up forward, I don't think that there's enough there. I mean, as well as Peter Wright's going, there's just not not enough armoury. So, uh, look, granted they've played three very good sides to start the season. Um, you know, the, that's the glass half full attitude. The glass half empty is their, their zero three. Um, and the glass never had anything in it attitude, which is my historical uh, take on things, says that um, <laughs> there's still a fair gap to bridge between the Bombers and uh, the absolute best in the competition. That said, Adelaide isn't that. Now, listen, we should talk about the Crows because uh, they were terrific coming back from that deficit against the power last week. I think their development's coming along nicely. I mean, it, it's it's gradual and it's it's quiet and there's the occasional hiccup. But, you know, the fact is under Matthew Nix, they've gone from, you know, three wins to seven wins to I think a reasonably consistently competitive side. Some of these kids look pretty good, I think. Um, and, well, there's a chance they might get Rory Sloan back this week too, which would make a difference. So, I actually think they're a, a silly sort of chance in this game. Um, and I'll tell you what, Essendon need to come out absolutely switched on because they'll be in serious trouble if they're not. No, they definitely they can't take this one lightly. They're, well, Essendon's not in a position to take it lightly at 0-3. You know, they, gotta, they can't rest on their laurels at all. Um, but, you know, I think that a few of their players, like Jake Stringer sort of hasn't, you know, he had a little burst against the D's, but he hasn't got back to his absolute best. I think he has, if he if he can, you talk about the forward um, the attacking prowess, if Stringer can really turn it on, which there's no reason why he can't against a team like Adelaide, something like that could just be the difference in the end. I mean, there's not too many, you know, across the 46 players on the field on Sunday, there's not too many real match winners. I think Jake Stringer is one of them. Question is, Roko, do, does Adelaide bring back Taylor Walker straight away? Because you saw Himmelberg and Gallant were very good in those positions. Um, does Tex come back straight away? No, I think that would be a, a, a massive mistake if they were to bring him back uh, straight away. I, th- I thought almost the most encouraging thing for them uh, was those two key forwards standing up. It's exactly what they're looking for. Uh, you know, Walker's yesterday's man in... in Several senses, you could say, footy, <laughs> footy sense and a, a moral sense. And um, no, nah, he's got to earn his way back. He does no way does he just walk straight back into that lineup. No. Uh, look, I think Adelaide's going to push Essendon all the way here, but I, I am going for Essendon. I'm not uh, brave enough to tip the Crows 
at Marvel Stadium against the Bombers. But I, I'm not convinced Essendon's going to win by a lot. I'm going for Essendon by, uh, let's say, 16 points. And I was going to say 17. So how about that? We're on the same wavelength. Beautiful. That doesn't happen very often. No, very. In fact, hardly ever. <laughs> All right. That is the first of the Sunday games. Uh, there's another one down the road at the MCG. 3.20 Sunday afternoon at the MCG sees Hawthorne taking on St Kilda. It's a uh, re- replay of the uh, rematch of the 1971 grand final. That's a long bow. <laughs> I don't know why I always pull that out, but it's a famous grand final. I clearly had a significant uh, impact on my consciousness. Anyway, uh, 51 years ago now. Anyway, in this version, uh, Palmerbet. Uh, have the Saints as favourites for this game. St Kilda playing $1.81 head-to-head. Hawthorne, the home side for this clash, uh, paying $2.04 head-to-head on Palmerback. Get tackle-busting benefits all this season. Um, you'd say after three games, big tick for both those sides. Didn't start that way for the Saints. So pretty ordinary, I thought, in that first game against Collingwood. Uh, and pretty ordinary for a fair chunk of the second game against Fremantle. But uh, after half time, thanks to Big Max King, a couple of times now, they have uh, had two um, terrific come from behind wins. Uh, a few goals down in Perth against the Dockers, 25 points down against Richmond. Uh, I think about 16 minutes into the third quarter last week before Big King cut loose. As for the Hawks, well, they've been terrific. Uh, good win over North in round one took Port Adelaide apart over in Adelaide round two and then conceded seven goals to Carlton last week, almost pinched the points. In fact, did hit the front before being headed again uh, thanks to a late Jack Silvani goal, losing by only a point. So both sides 2-1 and uh, in pretty good nick and pretty confident about their prospects in this game. You think just a a little historical uh, perspective here. Last time these two met, at the MCG, was all the way back in 2014. I think both sides might remember this one. It was Alan Richardson's first season as coach. Uh, Not a great day for the same as Hawthorne won this game by 145 points. I don't think that margin is under threat in this game, but uh, I'm finding it pretty hard to decide who I think is going to win this one. Are you? Very hard. I mean, both teams, as you mentioned, I mean, they're, 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 they're the early uh, comeback kings of the season, aren't they? They're just fast finishing, full of youth and enthusiasm and run. And uh, yeah, they, they've, they've got a, a pretty amazing never say die attitude. Uh, you know, the Saints came back brilliantly against Freo and Richmond and Hawthorne almost did the job against Carlton after being down by 41 points. So yeah, they, they don't die wondering these two teams. So it makes it very hard to pick a winner. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how um, the Hawthorne defence goes this week to contain Max Kinn, who, it, you know, admittedly was pretty quiet for the first three quarters and the first half of the week before. But he shows all he needs is a quarter, a quarter and a half to tear a game open. And uh, the, the Hawthorne defence was pretty um, took a while to get going. Like they in the first quarter against Carlton, they were just completely torn to shreds. I think that probably had a lot to do with Carlton's midfield dominance as well. But you know, the the contested mark, I think it was like something like five, two marks inside 50 in the first quarter or something ridiculous like that um, in Carlton's favour. Uh, they were really struggling, but they got their, they got their groove back um, midway through the second. And, you know, Chaincloth GF, I can't speak highly enough about this kid. He is something special. He was the, 
he was the fire starter for the uh, for the Hawks. I mean, he was, you know, the, the way the Hawks came back into the game was pretty much just like, you know, take the game on from defense, transition defense, take it on all, at all costs. And they just, they wore the Blues down and GF was a st- central to that. Well, I haven't had a chance to look this up, unfortunately, at this stage, but I, I was keen to do it. I wonder how many times aside's two leading ball winners were key position defenders. And that was the case with the Hawks, with CJ and with Sicily. I think it was, might have been 27 and 26 touches respectively. But um, there's a lot for the Hawks to be excited about. And I, look, I, I said pre-season, I think they'll have a better year than a lot of people think. Um, they just started to really make some important strides, I think, towards the end of last season. And you can see the continuation of that under uh, Sam Mitchell thus far. They're, I, th- I think they're playing a slightly more dynamic brand than they were, but I really like some of these kids. I mean, we, we've seen Mitch, Mitch Willis has been there for a while now, but, you know, he, I guess, started to come of age last week. But some of the guys I, I really, I, I really like John Newcomb. Um, he's a real goer. I, I think he's going to be a real long-termer for them. We've seen a big improvement over the last 12 months in the likes of Dylan Moore already. Harry Morrison, I think, starting to to really have an impact. Another newcomer, Josh Ward, you know. So we're, it's not all that long ago we were looking at the Hawks and saying, you know, who are the kids coming through that are any good? Well, I think there's quite a few now. And that's not even mentioning the likes of, uh, oh, you know, Granger Barras or, or uh, Reeves or, or even Scrimshaw has been around a bit longer. But... Um, that got some seriously good young talent. Will Day's another one who's been out injured. We might have forgotten about him. Unfortunately, and I think this is significant, Ronnie, the, it didn't seem to get much airtime, funnily enough, but uh, big boy McAvoy, like he's going to miss three months of footy. Mm. And that could have a crucial bearing on the Hawks' chances, I think, because it just really exposes some young rucks. And uh, he's an important presence for them as a leader, as much as a ruckman and a a bit of a pinch hitting key forward at times. So he's a big loss and I hope it uh, doesn't derail their season as a result. Yeah. And as you mentioned, they're coming up against a pretty formidable one-two punch in uh, Marshall and Ryder. We know how much the Saints like to use two Ruckman to work over um, their opposition Ruckman and uh, Ned Reeves up against those two uh, could make things difficult. Um, Having said that, the Saints had some super performances uh, in the midfield. I think uh, Jack Sinclair is becoming a really good player for the Saints in the midfield and, Jade Gresham, Jack Steele, Brad Brad Crouch is playing. Oh, that was probably one of the best games he's ever played for the Saints, I reckon, since he's come over. So, um, you know, if they can sort of mitigate the what you would think would be an advantage to, um, uh, sorry, what am I talking about? If they can exploit what they what looks like will be an advantage um, in the ruck in via tap outs, it could go a long way to, to victory for them. It's uh, on the injury front. Look, the Saints, uh, the other thing we should give them credit for is the performances of the last couple of weeks, given uh, some of the injuries they've got, because they're, they're starting to stack up a bit. Uh, and their key players, like I won't even bother mentioning Hanabry, who's had more surgery, incidentally, no chance of seeing him do a second half of the season. When did mm. he last play Dan Hanbury? It was about 1998. <laughs> yeah, it was around about then. It, was around it, about then. it yeah, feels yeah. like that. But yeah, they yeah. have lost some serious talent. The Saints, Zach Jones, uh, personal leave at mm. the moment. Hunter Clark, he's still probably three weeks to a month away. Uh, Nick Caulfield, of course, he's gone for the whole season. Jack Billings, hamstring, another three weeks away. 
So, uh, you know, you think that would impact on them. I mean, yet um, they've really been able to extract some good performances out of those who are still around the mark. So mm. um, this is an interesting one. It's a real flip of the coin for me. I wonder if mm. history has a say here. The Saints have won the last three meetings between these two teams. Uh, I wonder if there's a little chink in the armour that um, Brett Ratton and co have been aware of. Uh, Brett Ratton, of course, having come from Hawthorne. And mm. uh, I wonder if they've been able to exploit that. And that, uh, stupidly or not, and it wouldn't be the first time I'd tip stupidly, um, <laughs> is probably just enough to make me lean towards the Saints in terms of a tip. I'm going to go for St Kilda by two points. I'm going to go St Kilda by seven points. Okay. Jeez, we're thinking dangerously alike. Um mm. Let's make sure this never happens again. That could yeah. be disturbing on a lot of levels. Very disturbing. And the final game of round four, uh, unusually, will be one played at Metricon Stadium. Let's have a chat about that. Well, you know what they say about this matchup, no matter where they are on the ladder. No, I completely and utterly lie. Though I don't know what they say about this matchup, to be honest. <laughs> but it is. Gold Coast taking on Carlton at Metricon Stadium, 4.10 p.m. Sunday afternoon. Palmerbet, what have you got for us? The boys at Palmerbet have Carlton undefeated at three and zip. They are warm favourites, paying $1.55 head-to-head. Gold Coast, even at home, you can get $2.47 on the Suns. Might be a good little speculative uh, flutter to have there, of course, as long as you are gambling responsibly uh, whilst you get your tackle-busting benefits. I'm really pleased with how well I'm remembering that tagline just four <laughs> weeks into the new season. Uh, what about the tagline on the Blues, Ronnie? What should that be at the moment? Are they coming? Can we smell what they're cooking? What other stupid marketing <laughs> slogans they come up with? And how accurate are they as we speak? Uh, they're looking they're looking very good i'll tell you i mean uh, having said that it, it's interesting isn't it because like they, they could have quite easily lost uh to the bulldogs and and the hawks but to their credit they they did what they had to do to pinch the win and you know that's all you have to do and in years gone by they probably would have lost to the bulldogs and the hawks but to their credit they, they've taken a step forward in that department and they've made, they've found a way that's that's all that they've had to do um having said that there are there are some issues i mean i don't think it's going to affect them this week against the suns but you know those the they're kind of almost in the middle two quarters they they almost ground to a halt like they just they just ran out of energy and the hawks just ran over the top of them and you know pinched the lead in the last quarter so that's a little bit concerning but geez if they can you know, they've got such an exciting key duo up forward, like Mackay and Kerno. I mean, Kerno, what a bonus he's been. Like, who, he, like, there was serious doubts that he was ever going to play again. And not only is he back, but he's almost back to his brilliant best. It's just an, been an amazing comeback. It's been great to watch. And, and look, I, I think an important part of the forward setup equation too, as much as the big guys, has been the work uh, at their feet of the, the small pressure forwards. And talking there about uh, the likes of Owies and Durden. I, I mm. think, uh, you know, not getting many raps, but I think their work has been important. And and pressure right across the ground has been a, a common denominator of their performances thus far. And kudos to Michael Voss. He said he was going to sort of work on hardening 
them up a bit. And they are a much tougher, I think, more resilient side as well this season already than we've seen from them previously. Uh, just in terms of availability, Adam Saad, I think, exits the uh, health and safety protocols on Saturday. So should be available for selection as we record this. Blue's still waiting on how both uh, Oscar McDonald and uh, Mark Pitnett uh, pull up from back injuries uh, before deciding their availability. Uh, Carlton and Metricon, now it's a venue that uh, has caused some teams some grief. Carlton bat about 50-50 at this venue. They have won eight, lost nine. In fact, uh, I think it was losing up there that cost Brett Ratton his job back in 2012. Uh, however, I don't know why I'm even talking about that. Tell you, if we are talking about uh, well-worn historical narratives, though, how's the one about Gold Coast showing a few signs and then turning in the obligatory shocker? Well, that's what happened last week. It's getting really boring, guys. I think if people are going to be convinced <laughs> by the Suns, they're going to have to play well for longer than two or three games in a row. And they just still have too many of these games where they just don't turn up and the results are foregone conclusion by quarter time. Uh, injuries certainly aren't helping. Of course, the biggest one for them coming pre-season, Ben King was always going to be a massive loss and have a massive uh, impact on their scoring potency. But uh, not just him at the moment. Jack Bowes, he's at least uh, four weeks away. Isaac Rankin, uh, he'll have to overcome a test to play in this one. He's missed the past two now, so they certainly need him back in harness as well. But look, even at home, uh, given the side they're up against and the way the Blues have started this year, it's going to be a pretty tall order for the Suns, I'd suggest. I tend to agree, but they will be buoyed by the fact that they did beat them the last time they played. And it was down in Docklands as well. So uh, that will give them some sort of, uh, you know, conference heading in. But uh, no, I think Carlton are superior team to the Gold Coast. And speaking of the four line, another shout out. i got to give to Jack Silvani. He's been really good for the Blues this year. I think he was fantastic on Sunday. And I think he's finally showing what um, the potential that uh, that was talked about before it got drafted. Yeah, no, I have to say, and I, I was certainly one of the uh, the sceptics, and uh, very easy in a situation like that to say, well, he's only on the list because of his name. And I still would argue that for some time that was probably the case. I think what the other thing that makes it, has made it harder for him is that he's had to do it as a completely different sort of player to his old man. I mean, He's sort of like, he's far more in the mould of his grandfather than his father, really. I mean, <laughs> Serge Silvani was a, a, a ridiculously good player, don't get me wrong, but he certainly wasn't a stylist. Um, and I think perhaps people unfairly thought, well, you know, Steve was a, a great aerialist and pretty spectacular and, and uh, therefore Jack will play like that. Well, he doesn't have the body to play like that. He's had to really invent a position for himself. And I think he's done it really well. And he clearly does have a, a pretty good footy brain. So um, kudos to him. It hasn't been easy. And I agree with you. I think he's starting to play pretty good football consistently now. Look, I um, got to say, you know, people think it's funny coming from a couple of Essendon fans, but uh, uh, I've really enjoyed watching the Blues this year. And got to say, and I'll say it quietly, but there's something about uh, what they're putting together that, sort of warms the cockles of your heart because it's been a pretty... <laughs> Wash your mouth out. <laughs> oh, uh, 
been a pretty ordinary couple of decades for them. And uh, I do know a lot of Carlton people. And, um, yep, you, you even feel sorry for them after a period of time. Maybe <laughs> maybe that's how they'll look at Essendon support. Oh, yeah, another, sure. Another sure. 10 years of losing elimination <laughs> finals. Uh, but I'm going for the Blues to win this one, even at Metricon Stadium. Uh, I think I'll do it reasonably comfortably. I'm going for Carlton by 26 points. Well, you say uh, even though it's a Metricon, it's pretty much a home game for them at this time of year. Lots of Carlton supporters will be at this game at this time of year on that Sunday. So you you watch on Sunday. It will almost be a a Carlton home game. There'll be plenty of Carlton support up there. They'd love to travel up to Gold Coast this time of year. And that is just an added reason why I think the Blues will get the job done. And I'm going to say they'll do it by 35 points. 35 points. Okay. Uh, what are you suggesting that uh, Carlton supporters are well healed enough to be holidaying up on the Gold Coast this time oh, of year? Oh, absolutely! I know plenty of people in the Carlton supporting community that um, they have their their apartments up there. It's uh, the kids' I think kids' holidays is coming up. It's just the perfect time to get up there. And the Gold Coast are playing, so there's just plenty of reasons for them to be there. You watch. It's something for you to watch out for on Sunday. You see how much support they're going to have at Metricon Stadium. All right. I'm making a note for myself (laughs) now, and uh, we'll report back on this in our Sunday edition. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Thanks particularly to you, young Randy, uh, Ronnie, (laughs) a.k.a. Ronnie Werner. Of course, if you uh, you missed the start of this, Robert Shaw having a well-earned week off at a mystery location. I'm sure he'll uh, tell us about in due course, but uh, having a good week off, Ronnie Werner, uh, very capably filling his spot. Uh, You can support our humble little podcast at the ACAR supporter page, uh, wherever you listen to the Footyology podcast, or better still, become a Footyology patron for just $7 Australian per month. You can avail, well, look, I'll be honest, you can avail yourself of it all by paying nothing because it's all free. We don't put it behind a paywall. And what we do, though, with that commitment to you is we ask for a small commitment in return. $7 Australian per month helps keep us ticking over, uh, allows me to pay the likes of Ronnie Werner for his writing services. And no amount of money is enough for the quality journalism he brings to the table in previews with Punch and all manner of other contributions to Footyology. So become a Footyology patron. There's links all over the website, footyology.com.au. Thanks for your company. Uh, Enjoy your footy. Hope your team gets a win uh, this weekend. And we'll be back on Sunday evening to wrap up what hopefully has been a very entertaining round four. We'll see you then. 